to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. This is what Paul said, who is he who condemns? Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now I want to go to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, because this is a parallel passage. Therefore, Jesus is also able to save to the uttermost. I love preaching that text right there and stopping because he can save you and he can save you completely. Doesn't matter how bad you've been, what you've done, he can save you completely. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. See that? Okay, thank you. You can be seated. Today I want to preach a message I've entitled Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for me. Uh, I read the Bible. Hopefully you read the Bible. I've read the Old Testament, New Testament. You've probably done the same. I start reading all those ceremonial laws and the do's and don'ts. Somebody said there were like over 600 laws and regulations that are in the Old Testament. I read that and I just say, thank God I am not a Jew living under the law in the Old Testament. Thank God I am saved and in the New Testament. And one of the reasons is because I love barbecue. Who loves barbecue? Oh, yes, good southern folks love barbecue. Thursday's is smoking pig day. Did y'all know that? Y'all hear me talk about the smoking pig. They ought to start paying me for free advertisement so it won't be free anymore. If you want to find me, go to the Smoking Pig for lunch or dinner on Thursday. One or the other, I'm going to be there. That's what they get for building that thing two-tenths of a mile from my house. I love barbecue. I love eating barbecue ribs. I'm going to have ribs. I'm going to have get them glazed, and I'm just going to be licking my fingers, and it's going to be messy, and I don't care what anybody thinks. Donald Trump could be sitting across from me, and I just grab one and say, you want one? You know, I just lick my face. I love barbecue. You can't eat barbecue if you're if you were an Old Testament Jew. You could not eat barbecue. It would be against the law. It's not kosher. I have a a man that I know who is a messianic rabbi. He's a Jewish rabbi. He's messianic. He's saved. And I love to give him a hard time. I told him, I said, you know there are going to be ribs in heaven. He just looks funny at me because he won't eat ribs down here. I said, well, you better get ready because you're going to eat ribs in heaven. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't like that too much. I'm so glad that I'm saved and in the New Testament. One of the reasons why, among many, is that in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, you needed a priest to approach God. If you wanted to have anything to do with God, it took a priest. If you wanted to worship, you had to go do it through the priest. If you wanted to just rededicate your life to the Lord, sometimes people love to come to the altar and just rededicate their life to the Lord. It's a beautiful thing to do. It doesn't mean you're backslidden or anything. You just want to rededicate. Say, Lord, I'm just a fresh and anew. I'm giving myself to you. I'm going to serve you with more, with more fire and passion than ever before. But if you were going to do that in the Old Testament, you had to do it through a priest. If you wanted to deal with your sins, you had to go through a priest. If you want to get your sins forgiven, covered, you had to go through a priest. If you wanted to tithe, you had to do it through a priest. But the writer of Hebrews, the book that tells us how 
the new covenant is better. The New Testament is better. Everything's better. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus came not as a human high priest alone. We know he was incarnate, but he came as a divine high priest to make a way where you could come to God without going through a human priest. There is a verse in the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, that goes like this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. In other words, Jesus came to be a mediator. Now, I want to talk about Jesus as a high priest, but before I can talk about Jesus as a high priest, I have to talk about him as a mediator. What's a mediator? It's a go-between. It's an intermediary. It's a reconciler. It's an arbitrator, okay? And Jesus came to serve in that role to bring sinful people and a holy God together in righteous relationship. And he did it, didn't he? Now, here's what he did. He mediated two things. First of all, he mediated our salvation through his death on the cross, and it happened at the moment when he breathed his last. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51. Here's what it says. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He died. He was hanging on the cross. Verse 51, then. When he gave up his spirit, when he died, then, at that moment, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. All right, let me explain this to you. In Jesus' day, they had a temple. In that temple, there was a little room called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. In that little room was a piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant. It symbolized God in the presence of God. It wasn't God. It was just as a symbol, a piece of furniture that was symbolic. No one had access to that room. No one except one guy, the high priest, and he only could get in there one time a year on the Day of Atonement where he offered a sacrifice and then he would take the blood from that sacrifice and go into that room and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. Watch this. And the sacrifice covered the sins of the whole nation. Everybody. Did you get that? A sin sacrifice that took care of the sins of everybody. But that room was separated from the other rooms in the temple by a veil, a very tall veil. And historians tell us that it was woven in such a way that it was not like a sheer or a thin curtain fabric, ladies, in your house. It was as thick as my hand is wide. And so you can imagine that for it to tear, it could not be done naturally. And so the high priest would go in. So what that symbolizes is that you can't get to God. That only one man can get to God, the high priest. And the only way you can get to God is you have to let the high priest go to God for you. Do you see the imagery? But listen, on the day that Jesus died and breathed his last, the other gospel writers tells us that to make sure that he was dead, a Roman soldier took a spear and thrust it in his side and ripped open his flesh. 
cutting open his flesh, exposing his flesh and blood and water, the blood that never loses its power, the blood that gives me strength from day to day, the blood that washes away my sins. For what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood poured out of his body. And when that happened, God reached down and did what no man could do. He ripped that veil in two and dropped it, exposing the holy of holies, the most holy place. What was God saying? God was saying, now you don't have to go through a high priest. Now you're no longer separated from me, for my son has paid the price. And because the veil of his flesh has been opened, he has created a new and a living way to me. And now whoever wants to, you may come and have a relationship and fellowship with me forever and ever. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? He mediated a salvation for us. But not only that, he mediated a new covenant. I've made reference already in this message to the old covenant. He said, what's a covenant? Well, in your Bible, you have the, new, the Old Testament and the New Testament. A testament and a covenant are the same thing. So the old covenant, the Old Testament, with its ways, Jesus said, that's done. That's done. I'm going to inaugurate a new covenant with man. A new way for man to have relationship with God. How? Well, let me, let me just contrast it. In the old covenant, all right, your sins were forgiven, but they were covered. They were never totally taken away, and they didn't change you, okay? In the old covenant, you had to try to keep the law by your own power and ability. In the old covenant, you would memorize the law in your mind, but it never got written in your heart. There wasn't an internal drive. In the old covenant, if you, again, if you wanted to go to God, you had to go through a priest. But Jesus mediated a new covenant to replace the old covenant, which means what? Now your sins are forgiven and they are taken away no longer to be seen again. In this new covenant, you receive the Holy Spirit who empowers you and enables you to keep and obey the moral law of God. In this new covenant, God takes through the Spirit and writes his laws on our heart so that there's an internal drive inside of us that says, I know what's right. And I know what God wants me to do. And I have a passion and a desire to do what God has called me to do. And finally, in this new covenant, I don't have to have a priest anymore to get to the Father. I can go straight to the Father on my own. Come on, somebody give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. I can stop preaching right here. That's good stuff. Hallelujah that Jesus did all that for us. Isn't that beautiful? We enjoy the, the benefits of that. Now, the Protestant Reformation occurred in the 1500s, and I just finished reading a book by Alistair McGrath called A Dangerous Idea, and it's about the Protestant Reformation. And the Protestant Reformation occurred because the Catholic Church was the dominant church in the time in the West. the East, it was the Greek Orthodox Church. But the Catholic Church was it. And unfortunately, the Catholic Church had developed some doctrines and concepts and practices that were very unbiblical. And, they, and, and, and one of the things that they did is that they said, for you to approach God, you have to go through a priest. They still do that today. If any of you have a Catholic background, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Martin Luther comes along, along with John Calvin and the other reformers, and said no. And they advocated what is called the priesthood of the believer. So in the Catholic church, if you wanted to worship, you had, to have a, you had to have a priest. 
You know, if you're going to celebrate Mass, you had to have a priest. And if you were going to deal with your sins, confess your sins, you had to go in a confessional booth. A little door would slide open, and the Father, the priest would be on the other side, and you would do the sign of the cross and say, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been 247 days. This is my last confession. We're going to be here a while. If, if Anything you wanted to do, you had to go through a priest. If you wanted to find forgiveness, anything. It was very much like the Old Testament priesthood. Martin Luther said that in Christ, that's not the way it works. The Bible tells us that you can approach God, any of us can approach God if we're saved because we're all priests. So let me show you. It's in 1 Peter 2, 5, and then verse 9. Peter said, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Watch this. A holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices, not animal sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. To God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation. A little twist, a royal priesthood. The first one was a holy priesthood. The second is a royal priesthood. A holy nation, his own special people. So listen to me, brothers and sisters, today. If you're born again, if you're saved, listen to me. You are a holy, royal priest to God. You may not see yourself as such, but God views you that way. You have been, because you are holy, you have been set apart from sin to serve the Lord. Because you have been born again and adopted by the King, then you can consequently come before the presence of the king anytime you want to. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can talk to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22 says this, Therefore, brethren, and one fellow one time said sistren, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, do you get that? The holy place, the most holy place, Therefore, having boldness to enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, watch this, and having a high priest over the house of God, capital H and a capital P, so that's Jesus. How many of you know if you got a priesthood, which is what we are, you got to have a high priest over us? Right? Every time there's a priesthood, you always have to have a high priest. Jesus is our high priest. And because all that's true, he said, listen, let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. If you can hear God through this saying to us, come close to me. Come have relationship with me. Fellowship with me. Come talk to me. Let's be together. It's the heartbeat of God. I remember when years ago there was a song that says, Now I can go into the Holy of Holies. I can kneel and make my petitions known. I can go into the Holy of Holies, and although I'm just a common man, because of God's redemption plan, I can boldly approach the throne. How many of you are glad this morning? How many of you are glad that anytime you want to, you can call on Jesus anytime? How many of you are glad you've got access to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week? How many are glad that he's right there? He's just a cry away, a prayer away. And so we have access into the throne of God. Hallelujah. Which then raises the question. So I preached all that to get to my message. Then raises the question, if I am a priest and I have access to God why then is Jesus my high priest who makes intercession for me? To intercede is to plead with a person on behalf of another person. It's kind of a form of prayer. 
As a matter of fact, there are three elements to prayer, communion, petition, and intercession. Intercession is when you pray for somebody else and their need. Praying for my mother, she needs to be saved. Praying for my brother, he's got cancer. You're praying and pleading with God on behalf of another. So Jesus, our high priest, pleads with God on our behalf. Why does he have to do that if I'm a priest and I can talk to him all by myself? It's a really good question. Hebrews 8 tells us that after Jesus ascended to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father as Savior. Okay, now this is very important because this concept of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father is repeated over and over and over. It was in Romans 8 when we read it. It's in this verse. You will find it in other writings. Anything in the Bible that is repeated constantly, you should pay attention to it. Okay, you should pay attention to it. And so Jesus is, where is Jesus right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is he at the right hand of the Father? First of all, he sits there as a Savior. He's alive. We, we just sang it. He rose from the grave. And he is alive and well, and he's sitting at the Father's right hand. And if you need to be saved today and you're not saved, all you have to do is cry out to that Jesus, and he's alive and well. And that's why John saw him in Revelation. He said, I saw one who looked like a lamb who had been slain. Did you know that Jesus still in his glorified body, he has, even though he's God, he has limited himself on purpose to a body that is glorified and he has kept the nail prints in his hands and feet and the spear thrust in his side, the wound. How do I know this? Because when Thomas saw him after post-resurrection, he said, unless I stick my hand in his side and put my fingers in the nail prints, I'll not believe. And Jesus showed up and said, come here, Peter, put your hands right there. So he, he is carrying on purpose the wounds that shows that he was the lamb that was slain. So he's there as a savior, but not just sitting there as a savior. He sits there as our high priest who lives forever to make intercession for us. Jesus is pleading with God the Father in your behalf. He's speaking for you. He's representing you. But again, if I'm a priest, why do I need him to do that? And so I spent this week digging that out because I wanted an answer. And I found it. Here's the first reason why you need Jesus praying for you. You need Jesus praying for you when you sin. That's the first one. Now, I want to take you to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, because this passage correlates directly with what I'm preaching. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says this, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice or the sacrifice for my sin. The propitiation for our sin. All right, so let me just, let me just do some preaching right here. Number one, God doesn't want you to sin. God doesn't want you to sin. Okay? I am concerned because every once in a while I hear preachers in churches across America and a lot of times they're guys in mega churches and they're guys with influence who preach and they preach in such a way that they seem to give people permission to say or do certain things or get involved in certain things and it's as if they're giving them permission to commit sin. Listen to me. If you're a preacher who preaches and gives people permission to sin, you're not a preacher anymore. 
preachers preach the word and preachers, one of our responsibilities is to tell you this is what the Bible says and if the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong, don't do it. And the Bible says it's right, it's right, you need to do it. And so I want to tell you today, God doesn't want you to commit sin. Do you know there is a theology out there? That people, there are, and there are preachers who preach this. I've heard people say that they say every day I commit sin. Every day, every day I know at some point I commit sin. And so I need to ask God to forgive me because every day I commit sin. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, man, that's, what kind of Christianity are you serving? Because that's not my Christianity. What Bible are you reading? Because that's not the Bible I read. Because with all due respect to the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, if every day I, I'm supposed to be saved and the Holy Spirit lives in me but I'm sinning, that's not much of a Holy Spirit, is it? He doesn't have much power, does he? This is a pretty pitiful setup, isn't it? I came here today to tell you the Bible says that when you get saved, you are changed, you are transformed, the sin goes out, the Holy Ghost comes in, old things pass away, everything becomes new, you are no longer a partaker of sinful nature, you become a partaker of the divine nature. And there is something inside of you and someone inside of you that says, I don't want to sin, I don't have to sin, I don't need to sin, I want to do what's right, and I want to please God. So John said, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. So let's just get it straight that God doesn't want us sinning. But John knows that we have this treasure in jars of clay. And John knows that sometimes we don't get it right because we're not perfect. So John goes on to say, and if anyone sins... Now, sometimes you fail. Sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes in a moment of weakness or whatever, we say, do, think the wrong thing. And John said, if that happens, we have an advocate with the Father. An advocate. An advocate is like an attorney. It's like a meteor. It's like a high priest. It's like an intercessor. It's an arbitrator. It's a go-between. It's somebody that's there standing alongside to help. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation, the sin sacrifice for us. So listen, you're not supposed to sin. Sometimes you do sin. What do you do? Keep short accounts with God. When you sin, you're going to experience conviction. You say, oh, God, please forgive me of my sin. God, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have thought that. I made a wrong decision. I, I know I've disappointed you. I've transgressed the law, God. Please forgive me, God. And you, you, could, you have conviction. You confess your sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Somebody ought to give praise in this house. You see, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So there's forgiveness, okay? Why? Because Jesus' sacrifice is still there. And there is power in the blood to forgive me when I fail, when I do wrong. He said, well, pastor, if I sin, can I just confess? Again, I'm praying. Yes, that's exactly right. But here's what you need to understand. While you're praying... Jesus is praying. While you're confessing, Jesus is interceding. And like an attorney, he is pleading 
your case before God, the righteous judge. He is working to secure your pardon and forgiveness. And he can do this because he's not just the attorney, but he is the the one who paid the price and the penalty for your sins. And so it's on the basis of his atoning work on the cross that God can forgive you of your wrongdoing. So while you're saying, God, please forgive me, Jesus is praying, saying, Father, forgive her. Father, forgive him. Wash his sins away. Because I, look, Father, I took that. I took, Father, I took that so their sins could be washed away. Isn't that powerful? (laughs) Exhibit A. Exhibit B. Exhibit C. And the Father cleanses you. Last Sunday, two wonderful things happened in this church to two people. One of them was in the last service, and the other one's in this service. And I'm about to talk about him, and he doesn't even know about it. But I have been excited all week about these two. The last Sunday morning in the services, while, as, as we were having church, a 15-year-old teenager gave his life to Jesus Christ for the first time and was saved. <laughs> Told me, Pastor, I'm reading my Bible every night. And last Sunday during the service, a 69-year-old man who told me he had been backslidden for 12 years came to the altar and came back to the Lord and gave his life to Jesus and said, that feels like a 20-pound weight's been lifted off my shoulders. Hallelujah. And I celebrate. That man's here today, and I celebrate with him. I've talked to him on the phone. I celebrated with that young man. I've talked to that teenager a couple times, and I celebrate with them. But the reason I bring that up, first of all, it's something to celebrate. God's been saving a lot of people here at High Praises the last two, three months. But here's what I was thinking as I was as I was studying this week, the reason I bring that up is not just to celebrate, but then I got excited this week because I started thinking when that 15-year-old teenager and that gentleman, that 69-year-old gentleman were praying and seeking the Lord at the same time they were calling on God for mercy and calling on God for salvation. Last Sunday morning, Jesus was praying too, saying, save that teenage boy, Father. Save that man. Restore him, Father, because I paid the price and I have paid the blood or given the blood and shed the blood and the price has been paid save them God isn't that powerful to think that you have someone standing there praying with you to see your soul saved this is why Paul asked in Romans chapter 8 who is he that condemns who is he that condemns because it is Christ who died rose again sits at the right hand of the father interceding for us listen when you're forgiven you're forgiven you hear what I said? When you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Now, I'm going to preach where we live, okay? And this is a powerful preaching. This is going to help some people. But there are some people who will condemn you when you mess up. First of all, there's a devil out there. He's the accuser of the brethren. And you go ahead and mess up and sin, and, and there are times when the devil will get in your ear. And if you've never had the devil in your ear, boy, are you lucky. Because a lot of times that devil will get in your ear and you mess up. This is what the devil will do. He'll get in your ear and say, way to go, big boy. You've been serving the Lord, walking with Jesus for all these months, but you messed up now. Yeah, you don't feel so good about yourself now, walking around taking authority over me and not letting me do anything in your life, but I got you now. Tripped you up, didn't I? Now look at you. You're a mess. Don't you feel guilty? Don't you feel bad? You were way up here, and now you're way down here. 
You think God loves you. You think God will forgive you. You think God's forgiving you. You're you're pitiful. The devil will work you over. Huh? Anybody in this room, does that sound familiar? Oh, but it gets worse. You know who else will condemn me? More than the devil, me. Now, maybe y'all so holy and mature, y'all got it together. Well, I guess you can look at your phone right now. But I got a feeling this is going to be true for all of us. It's been true for me. You're serving the Lord. You're doing what's right, and then you mess up. You feel conviction, and you know you've blown it, and then you ask God to forgive you. You know, you're riding down the road, just minding your business, and then some person pulls out in front of you, and you have to slam on your brakes, and they go 50 yards and then make a right turn. And I want to say things that I shouldn't say. I'm thinking things I shouldn't think. And that's when I want missiles on my car. But y'all don't ever have that problem, do you? No, you don't ever want to jack somebody's jaw, do you? No, no, not you. You don't ever get mad enough that you want to hit somebody and knock them into the Tuesday of next week. No, you don't have that problem, do you? And then you have that moment and then you feel bad. And I don't even need the devil. I can beat myself up all by myself. I feel guilt. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I'm disappointed with myself. And I go to God in prayer and I know the Bible. I'm a preacher. I'm a theologian. I go and I know 1 John 1, 9, and I confess my sins and I beg God to forgive me and I tell him how lousy that I was and how bad that I feel. And yet I get up and I still feel bad. It's not God's fault. It's mine because I just keep beating myself up. Anybody? Does that sound familiar? Sometimes that happens. And we want to beat ourselves up, and we want to inflict self-condemnation on ourselves, obviously. It sounds like I'm repeating myself, but just inflict self-condemnation. And, you know, some of you may do this. You get in your head, you know, I'll just, maybe three days will be enough, and we'll just beat ourselves up for three days. Three days. Some of you, yours might be five. Maybe for you it takes a week. We just beat ourselves up. I ask God to forgive me, but I'm so unworthy. And you won't pray, and you won't read your Bible. And, you, and then, boy, if you did it on Friday or Saturday, you got to come to church. You just stand there. You won't worship. You, you, you miss out on a whole service. You just sit there the whole time. I'm not worthy to worship. I don't, I don't, I'm not singing these songs. I messed up, God. I'm so, you already asked him for forgiveness. I'm sorry, God, I messed up. Is this sounding remotely familiar to anybody in this building? Well, this preacher came along to tell you today, when God forgives you, he forgives you. And Paul said in Romans 8, Who is he that condemns? And it is a rhetorical question, and the answer is nobody can condemn you. You can't even condemn yourself. If you've condemned yourself, you need to stop condemning yourself because once the blood has been applied and Jesus has pled the case for you, let me tell you something. In God's eyes, your sins are gone. They're forgiven. The record has been expunged, and God has slammed the gavel down in heaven and said, Case dismissed. Hallelujah. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. 
So that's the first reason. We need Jesus to help us when we sin. Here's the other one. We need Jesus to pray for us in the times when we are in trouble. Hebrews chapter 4 Verses 14 through 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of of need. Look, here's the reality. You have weaknesses. Sometimes you fail. You make mistakes. Often you are tempted to sin. You live in a corrupt world. Uh, you have to fight the devil. There's spiritual warfare. And at times it gets weary. You get discouraged. You get stressed because you're trying to live for the Lord and you're battling, you're fighting. And, and things of this life will weigh you down. And then you'll go to work or you'll watch the news or read stuff and you're, you're looking at people who are sinful and wicked and they're healthier than you and they're more blessed than you it seems and they got more money and they're, they got a yacht and they're driving a Maserati and you're thinking, here I am trying to serve the Lord. It seems like everything's going right for them. And right now it feels like everything's going wrong for me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, well... Because Jesus became a man, he understands experientially what you face. It's not like God is cold and callous in heaven and totally untouched and, and innocuous to what's happening. He knows what it's like. Look, Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted by the devil. Do you ever think about that? Jesus knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be weary. He went through hard times. And he sympathizes with you. He cares. The Bible says casting all of your care on him because he cares for you. So, listen to me, brothers and sisters. When you are praying to God for mercy because you have sinned, or when you are praying to God for grace to get you through a trial, you're not the only one praying. Jesus is sitting right there in the Father's ear praying too. And he's pleading for the Father to help you. Help him, Father. Give her aid, Father. Send her what she needs. Give him what she needs. And listen to me. And the Father dispenses just what you need at the moment. And that's why I'm so glad they sang, there'll be another in the fire. Because, brothers and sisters, you never go through the trial by yourself. He's always there. He's like an attorney in a courtroom. When you have an attorney, the attorney manages your concerns in the courtroom. Jesus manages my concerns in heaven's courtroom. And he looks at me as he talks to the Father, the righteous judge, and he says, don't worry about what you're facing. I got this. I got this. A number of years ago, we were going to build the Ministry Activity Center, what we lovingly call the MAC. We gave out opportunities for numerous construction companies to bid in one particular local company that's supposed to be reputable. That's not. Came in and did a dog and pony show. Gave us, lowballed us, and gave us a building that, man, it was going to be like the Taj Mahal. 
It was a no-brainer. We said, we'll go with you. And so they started drawing up plans as quickly as they could. I've never seen plans uh, written up so quickly, drafted so quickly. Meanwhile, as we talked about it in meetings, the, 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 the things in the original building presentation that they said started getting cut one by one. Meanwhile, the price kept going up, 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 up from the original price. By the time they had the plans completed, against our own wishes and concerns, we had a shell of what they had presented to us originally, but the price had tripled. And they wanted to present it to the county and ramrod this thing through. Well, I kept saying to them, we need a contract and we need a GMP, a guaranteed maximum, uh, GMP, guaranteed maximum price on it. They wouldn't give it to me. They were wanting to drag this thing out so that they could put that price at the highest. Well, they were trying to take advantage of us, y'all. So we saw it. Well, they, we never signed a contract. We were operating with them on good faith. Well, they broke the faith. They broke the faith. So I, we said, well, then forget that. This isn't what you originally said. And we turned all the, took all the papers of their business, said, here's your plans. We're done. Went on our way. Well, they sued us. They sued us. We didn't do anything wrong. They did everything wrong. We get sued. Now go figure that. Don't you love America? I've never been sued. I wasn't getting sued. The church was getting sued, but I'm the pastor, so I'm having to deal with it. And I'm under stress like I've never had before. And I'm getting phone calls and things given, sent to me and brought to me, and it's just weighing on me. And I thought, this is out of my league. I'm not made to handle this. I'm a pastor. I work the ecclesiastical, not the legal. And so I called our corporate, our, our, our denominational headquarters and talked to Dennis Watson, our, our denominational attorney, and I said, look, you got to help me out here. And he said, we have a network. And he said, there's, a, there's an attorney in your town we're networked with. His name's James Logan. I'm going to put you in touch with him. And so I called Jim Logan, and, I, and he said, Pastor, come meet with me at such such time. And I came over there and brought all the papers and I showed him everything, and I said, Mr. Logan, he could see it on my face. I was just stressed out. I was just, I was overwhelmed by this. And I showed him everything. I told him everything. I said, Mr. Logan, what do you think? He said, I said, what do you want? What do you? He said, I'm going to take your case. And he said, we're going to handle this. And he said, give me all the paperwork. And I gave him everything I had. And he said, I'm going to take care of this. And he said, now, if you get a phone call, he said, don't you even talk to him now. He said, give him my number and tell him to talk to me. He said, if you get any kind of paperwork in the mail or anything, he said, don't even open it. Just bring it to me. You don't have to talk to me. He, and look, here's what he looked. He said, Pastor, you don't have to handle this anymore. He said, I'll take care of it. You, you should have felt the burden that went off my shoulder sitting in that, in that conference room. I said, Mr. Logan, I said, thank you so very much. And I looked at him, and I said, if you were a girl, I'd kiss you right now. Mr. Logan grinned and looked back. He said, Pastor, please don't do that. I said, okay, I won't, but if you were a girl, I'd kiss you right now. I said, you don't know how good this makes me feel. I said, he said, but Pastor, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Listen, the reason I tell you that, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now, is that sometimes we go through things in this life that we're not wired to handle. We can't handle it. We, we're not designed to handle what we're going through, and it feels like the weight of the world is on our shoulder, and the devil is breathing down our back, and the doctor is giving you a bad report, and an attorney has filed suit against you, and it seems like you're going to lose your job, and COVID-19 won't ever go away. 
way, but I'm here to tell you there is an attorney who is your attorney. His name is Jesus, and where you're not designed to handle it, he's designed to handle everything because he can handle anything that this world throws at you. And he looks at you and says, don't worry about it. Just give it to me. Everything's going to be all right. Come on, stand to your feet in this church. Hallelujah. I give God praise this morning. Thank God we have one who is talking to the Father for us. So listen, when you're going through it, you're not going through it alone. But Jesus is fighting for you. Jesus is fighting for you. In the Bible, there is a story. It is at the end of Jesus' life on this earth as the God-man, and he's talking to Peter and big old bold outdoor fisherman, rough, tough Peter says, Lord, I won't deny you. I'm going to hang in there with you, Lord. The rest of these guys, they're not going to do it. Listen to me. Let me show you this. Jesus said, Peter, Simon, Simon, what do you even call him, Peter? He said, Simon, Simon. He said, let me tell you something you wouldn't know. Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. I'm not going to go through the whole process of what that means. What it means is he wanted to turn his world upside down. He wanted to work him over. So let me show you something. There's somebody else praying to God the Father against you. It's the devil. Well, you didn't get that, did you? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked. Who did he ask? He had to go through God. Just like he did Job. Just give me five minutes in the ring with him. God, just give me five minutes and I'll expose him for the charlatan and the hypocrite he is. He acts all holy. She acts like she's got it all together. Give me five minutes. I'll work them over and I'll prove to you that they won't serve you. I'll prove to you they won't live for you. I'll prove to you they'll crumble and their faith will cave in. But Jesus said, but Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And basically said, when you're restored, and when you come back, restore your brothers, because they're going to fall too. Your other disciples over here. Listen, you need to hear me today. This is powerful. When the devil is coming against you, there's one greater who already beat him on the cross. He made a public spectacle for him and triumphed over him through the cross, Colossians says. And he will give you the victory every single time. You might go through it and the devil may try to work you over but you just hang on to your attorney. You hang on to your advocate. You hang on to your great high priest and you will overcome and you'll win the battle. God will bring you through. I want to ask everybody to bow their heads right now and I want to ask for just a simple response. I'm not giving altar calls yet. It's killing me because I love to call you down the altar. I'd love to get down here and lay hands and pray for you, but I'm, I'm still being a good shepherd. I'm just trying to watch over you. But I know God can touch you right there where you are. So here's what I want to ask. I want to ask some questions. If you're in this place this morning, you say, Pastor Chris, I'm not saved, and I need to get saved. And, and God's convicting me. I want to get saved. Okay, if that's one category, if that's you, hold on. If you say, Pastor Chris, I'm backslidden or I, I've sinned this week and or I've sinned recently, ask God to forgive me, but I've been beating myself up. You preach to me today. Okay, that's another category. And if you, if, I, if you say, Pastor Chris, I am going through the trial of my life. And I feel like I'm going through this all by myself. 
but I realize now Jesus is with me. I need his help, okay? If any of that is you, nobody's looking. Every head bowed, just throw your hand up for me and God. Just throw it up and hold it up. I see hands going up all over this place. Just throw it up real quick. That's okay. Come on, hold it up. Just hold it up for a minute. Just hold it up for a minute, okay? People all over this house, okay? Put your hands down. Thank you so much. I wanted you to do that because I wanted to see just where we are. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Your brothers and sisters in this house, you've got some that need help. And there may be a a person or two in here, because I don't know, that needs Jesus. I don't know. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to start praying. They're going to start singing. Y'all get ready. They're going to sing that song again. We're going to pray. And God can handle all of us at one time. He's God. So if you're a sinner, I want you to start praying and say, God, please forgive me of my sins. Father, please forgive me. God, please forgive me of my sins and come into my heart, Jesus. And I believe you died for me and I repent of my sins and I want to live for you. God will save you. And if you say, Pastor, I was one of those that have been beating myself up, I want you to say out loud, I know I blew it, but God has forgiven me. My sins are washed away, and I am no longer condemned, and I will no longer walk around beating myself up anymore. God's grace has raised me back, and I am his child. He loves me. And if you're going through a trial, I want you to pray and say, Jesus, I need help. I need help, Jesus. Help me through this thing. And then just say, pray for me, Jesus. And then just watch as God begins to minister to you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.